Welcome back, dear listeners, to this latest episode of the podcast series, The Way Out is In. I am Joe Confino, working at the intersection of personal transformation and systems evolution. And I am Brother Fab Hu, a Zen Buddhist monk in the tradition of Plum Village, a student of Zen Master Thich Han. And Brother, this is um, our last podcast recording of the year. And so today we're going to be talking about loneliness, how we can actually help ourselves to feel connected and to feel part of life. Hello, everyone. I am Joe Confino. And I am Brother Fab Hu. And Brother Fab Hu, we have a special guest today. So, and not for the first time, do you want to tell us who is here with us? Yes, dear friends, dear listeners, today we have back with us Sister Gina. Sister Yungim, translated as Sister True Wonder. She is a great elder in our community. She is a Buddhist nun, now residing in the Lower Hamlet. And she was the former abbess of uh, Lower Hamlet. And she was in an episode uh, last year, episode 14, about the practice of I have arrived and I am home, how to dwell in the here and now. So if uh, you would like to visit that episode, you can because it is truly a very deep session that we had together in that conversation. Great. Welcome, sister. Thank you. So, um, brother, before we talk about uh, the Plum Village teachings on how to come back to ourselves and how to, how to, um, how to deal with issues like loneliness, um, maybe it would be good just to share maybe a moment or an experience of loneliness that we've had in our lives. And because actually everyone suffers from loneliness at various times in their lives. So do you want to, is there anything that comes to mind um, with you? Sure. I would start with um, my journey as a young novice monk. When I was an aspirant to be trained to become a monk, I was very uh, energized and enthusiastic in everything fully participate in all of the song activity. And I was only 13 years old at that time, but my aspiration was so strong, so I didn't miss home. But within one year later, um, I think just as human beings, uh, no matter if you are a monk or a nun or, or a Zen master, we have mental formations and we have emotions that will naturally come. And I remember one day just sitting in the room, I was totally missing my mother and I felt so alone. And that feeling was very, very, very raw. And I felt that the connection that I had with my mother was so real and um, real meaning that 
I always felt loved by her. But sometimes we have this idea like, okay, we're we are entering into a spiritual path, becoming a monastic. We're letting go of all of our attachment, all of our um, feelings. That was a, a view I had. I like I should I shouldn't miss my mother. I shouldn't miss my friends. I shouldn't have these uh, f- feelings. And if I do, oh, that means I'm a weak practitioner. I true I am not yet solid as a mountain, and so on. And that moment when um, that loneliness came up, what followed was tears. And it was my first time crying um, as a monk. And at that time, I just learned to embrace my tears and allow vulnerability to be present. I was very, very raw so I didn't know what to do and I was very aware of people's perception about one another even living in a community as monastics we are very mindful of how we show up in the community and sometimes we have very strong judgment towards ourselves as well as to our own community our members in our community so I I always had this um persona as like a young, fresh monk, happy, jolly. And suddenly I was quite afraid of that feeling of loneliness and that feeling of being vulnerable like that. So that was a moment during my youth as a, as a young monk. And fast forward, um, like I think 15 years in or 16 years in as a monastic, there was a time when I was with the community, very involved. I am abbot by now, um, have led many sessions um, of meetings, being a part of so many organizations, so involved in the community, surrounded by so many wonderful human beings. But I was quite lonely. I was suffering, but I was ignoring my suffering. And... By ignoring my suffering, I built up a lot of resentment even towards the community that is supporting me because I was so tunnel vision within my suffering that I was trying to figure out and I was trying to um, be by myself to work on it and not express my suffering, my weak side to the Sangha, to my beloved community and it was Lunar New Year and Lunar New Year in Plum Village is a very big celebration, very warm, just like um, Christmas in the West. And it's a time for connection. It's a time for um, letting go of formalities between the monks and nuns. And we are drinking tea in each other's room, having quite deep conversations or just looking at photo albums of each other and to see where we all came from. So it's a very intimate moment. And that particular day, it was a celebration in Upper Hamlet. And I've been holding a suffering that I was still learning to identify. I was learning to also embrace it. And that particular day in the monk's resident, 
there was so much laughter, there was so much um, connection, but I felt like a drop of oil in in this um, beautiful lake of the community, and I felt so isolated, and I even had this feeling of like being an outcast that. I couldn't enter into my own room where we were hosting our sisters, our brothers, our lay friends from around the world. And I felt so, 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 so lonely um, because my heart wasn't present and it couldn't connect to the ones that I was with. And so I had, I had quite some shame Shame followed with the feeling of loneliness, feeling like, oh my God, I am 16 years in now. I should have, I I should be able to um, transform these energies, these emotions, these feelings. But here I am totally taken over by this sensation and this feeling. And what I did was I left the monk's resident and I went for a long walk. And I came back to my room um, much later when the noise has has uh, reduced, <laughs> joyful noise. And I I remember sitting with um, the feeling of guilt coming up because loneliness. I isolated myself from people. A guilt of like not not being able to connect and. That was a real, real hard moment. And I sat with it for not just that particular evening, but a few days that followed. And just to learning to to smile to it, that was tough. That was so, 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 so tough because of the judgment I also had for myself. So that was an experience. And it also shows that even when we are amongst so many, it doesn't mean we are connected, right? And recently I've, um, I've seen this meme and um, this meme, because it was leading up to Thanksgiving and a meme is like a joke. And um, there was this image and the, 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 um, the writings in the image was, great, we're all going to come together sit at the same table, but we're all just going to stare at our phones because we don't know how to connect. And I had such a great laugh because this is so true. But at the same time, it was so scary because I'm like, this is reality. This is our modern day um, suffering. And I think all of us in the world, we have experienced this and, and we will meet ourself at a moment in life when it's gonna be so real that we just feel so disconnected so that was one of my two of my experiences that I would like to publicly share so if we're publicly sharing brother um so when what came to my mind was also two experiences and and for me and one was when I was a young child um I didn't know why I was alive. I, I didn't feel I had a place in this world. 
uh, I felt utterly alone and separate and small and insignificant. Um, and I remember, uh, and I don't know the exact date, but I remember something like a, as an eight-year-old um, in the small bedroom um, in the house I lived in, and and there were bars across the windows. I don't know, I don't know if, why there were bars on the windows of the top, top floor, but anyway, there were bars on the window. But there was a part of me that just wanted to end my life then because I I didn't feel connected to anything. I, I, I just didn't understand why I was alive. And, um, and I know that's played out a big role in my life because that sense of uh, insignificance has always means I, I, I've been very needy of attention, very needy of, so rather than, as a young man, rather than true friendship, I was looking to get people to pay attention to me, to almost to, um, to prove that I was alive and that I was worthy enough to be alive. And, and it created this whole sort of, um, this whole imbalance in my life. Um, that rather than me thinking I had something to give and offer because I felt strong in myself, I was always looking for other people to mirror my existence and uh, and as we go through this podcast, we you know I'm sure we'll talk about the practices that can help that. But uh, but it still has that resonance, even with all the practice I've had over the years. I still see myself sometimes looking for that recognition, looking for that attention. Um, and the other thing actually that just popped into my head as you were sharing deeply, brother, because I it, it's um, it was a moment I'd forgotten about. But um, it just came very strongly into my mind that um, when I was at The Guardian um, as a journalist, I was asked to um, do a keynote speech at a major conference during what's called Climate Week. There are about 350, 400 people in this conference. And that morning I'd had a very difficult time at work. Um, something had happened. I'd been accused of something. And I was feeling completely shut off and um, and feeling completely dejected and um, that I and completely alone actually. This sense of loneliness of feeling that um, that I'd been pushed away and and that I'd been accused of something that that felt very unfair and that went to sort of the core of my values. And the conference was actually in the big conference center below where the office of the Guardian is. And, um, and I had to go down there. And I was sitting in the front row in the reserved place waiting to be called. And I was sitting there and I thought, I can't do this. How can I stand in front of 400 people when I'm feeling worthless? And, and at that moment, I felt so lonely because there was no one I could reach out to. And I felt I had to, I had to do my duty at the very moment where I felt I had no resources in me. And they called my name. And I thought, oh, here we go. And, um, and I got, got up on the stage and I just told the truth. I just said, I'm feeling terrible this morning. I'm feeling worthless. I've had a really difficult time. 
I'm feeling I don't have the capacity. I don't know what I even to say to you. I feel overwhelmed. And then I realized actually that's what everyone was feeling about climate change and that everyone in the audience at some level was feeling this sense of I'm not doing enough, I'm not good enough, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not worthy enough to, to make a difference. And so I just then shared it as a, this was what I was feeling and also put it in the context of, of the whole climate movement. And, and at the end of it, so many people came up to me and said that was so meaningful and so vulnerable to have shared that. And, um, and it was a real lesson for me about that sometimes when you suffer from real, when you're suffering from real loneliness is to also reach out and to be vulnerable and to share and to allow the love and support of other people to um, come in. Wow. So, um, brother, let's talk about the practices, because here we are, we're talking about times in our life, you as a monastic me, when I was sort of in two periods of my life, actually you both when we were young and then um, older, thinking of the practices of actually, there's so many people in the world who are suffering from loneliness. And I was reading a, an article in the New York Times today, and it said 15% of men all men in america don't have a single friend mm. they have no one they feel they can reach out to and as you said a bit earlier that we're in the we're in a time of what's supposed to be great connection we're all connected and that connection often is very surface and actually is leading to more disconnection so let's talk a little bit about plum village tradition and and the buddha's teachings and how they can help us if we are feeling this sense of separation. So I, I would say the core teachings of uh, Buddhism and Plum Village is learning to come home to oneself because we are so dispersed in our daily life, our minds, our projects, our thoughts, our actions, our focus, we're so dispersed and we are being pushed by our experiences, our past, our feelings, and it 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 drives us into many directions. And therefore we also cultivate a sense of um emptiness. And this is not Buddhist teaching on emptiness at uh the, the emptiness here is um, there's a big void in us that we try to cover up. And like you said, today, even though we say that social media helps us connect, but it is it's only um, connecting us very superficially. This uh, The kind of um, grasping that has been born from it is attention, but this is not right attention. This is attention to to feel worthy, to feel seen, to feel heard, and people are willing to do um, so many things just to get attention. 
and behind the screen, behind um, the image, we we when the when the when the screen is turned off, we still have to come back to ourselves. The true friend that we have, that we learn to to connect to, is truly ourselves. And our practice in our tradition, the first home that we can can identify, it is our mindful in breath and mindful out breath. In my orientation, I always guide and I always invite people in the retreat to learn to be a friend with your breath, because that breath accompanies you to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south, inside, outside. As long as you are there, that breath will be with you. And the more you are connected to the breath, the more you learn to guide your mind home to your body, then you have a chance to cultivate your mind. You can identify what are the um, images that are always manifesting in your thoughts, what are the energies that are always circulating within um, the present moment, and how is it connected to your daily life. So our teaching, the first wing of meditation is just learning to stop, learning to be home with oneself, because that's where life is. For us, the Buddha said, the past has already gone. The future is not yet there. The only moment where life is truly, truly, truly happening, it is the present moment. That is our home, the present moment. But the present moment is a continuous stream that is present, but we are not there most of the time. And it's so easily uh, for us to be distracted especially if we live in a big city, the noise, the um, lights, the, um, the screens of advertisement is always grasping us and telling us to do that, get that. That is happiness. And we're being baited. We're being hooked. And so therefore we are learning to um, run after something. And the Buddha's teaching he has a sutra, which is going to sound funny because it, it sounds like it's contradicting our, our um, theme. But the title of the sutra is The Better Way to Live Alone, right? So you can um, misunderstand this teaching. And there was a monk during the Buddha's time, it is recorded, that he misunderstood the Buddha's teaching. And everything he did, he did alone. The monks were saying, hey, um, the Buddha uh, instructed us to go as a community down to the, the villages to go for alms together. And he's like, no, I want to do it alone. And then in meditation, the monks would sit together. He would always isolate himself and sit alone. And what I love about learning about the sutra was that during the Buddha's time, you can see how real and human the monks and nuns were with the Buddha. So there were some monks who were quite um, upset with the behavior of this monk. And they felt 
this is not how you practice. So what did they do? They went and tied a tail. <laughs> so they all went to the Buddha. <laughs> and, and can you imagine this? Like an enlightened teacher, you know, someone who is like, well, maybe the Buddha didn't know that he would become such a teacher 2,600 years later, but his students would come up to him and say, Buddha, teacher, one of your students, he won't join us in meditation. He won't join us in Dharma discussion. He won't walk with us to the village. And I can only imagine what the Buddha um, was thinking. So, oh my gosh, I've been teaching them for so long and they're still behaving like this. So as a teacher though, the Buddha was so compassionate. So the Buddha calls him up, calls up this monk and asks this, um, the monk said, I've heard reports from your Dhamma brother that you your idea of practicing is to isolate yourself and not to be one with the community, with your groups of monks and nuns. And he said, yes, because I th- I'm practicing to dwell apart, to, 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 to be alone. And then the Buddha offered um, the teaching, said, ah, you have misunderstood my teaching. When I say there is an art to live alone, it means that we are not carried away by the winds of the world. And these winds are the desire. These winds are um, the self. I want to gain something for myself. All of these temptations that are coming at us, as well as I am not being carried away by my emotions, by my feelings, and by my wrong actions. So I learned to come home in order to take care of that within myself and to create an island where I can take refuge in. And that island is a practice. So when we are being swept away by um, our thoughts about the past, how we were in the past, and you can daydream about it, you can go down this rabbit hole and start to procrastinate oh my gosh, what have I been doing? Why am I not like that anymore? So the Buddha teaches very clearly so that you are being swept away by the past. And then he goes on, uh, and this is if you are being swept away by the future, that you are always thinking how you will become in the future, what you will gain. um, And then you start to plan and and you lose yourself in the here and now, then you are lost. And even in the present moment, you can be swept away by the present moment. By you think you're here, but you're going in circles about your stories, right? We all have stories. I've done this myself. We all have stories that we like to retell about maybe a suffering, especially when it comes to suffering. I like to retell, I like to retell and, and, and go on about it because there's something, there's something tempting when it comes to suffering, maybe because I identify so much with it and we get lost even in our suffering and then we don't, we're not applying the teachings in the present moment, then we are being swept away by the present moment. And, and so this sutra has become a foundation for our practice of the four establishment of mindfulness, how to um, take care of our body, how to take care of our mental formations, and et cetera, et cetera. And so in the teachings of Plum Village, mindfulness becomes our 
our foundation of learning to come home in every minute, every action. The meditation hall is not um, the only place of practice, but even when we are cooking for our community, we can see it as a task, but we can be truly at home. In the present moment, as we are cutting the carrot, we can be in touch with the wonders of the carrot to see that how, what a miracle it is to have carrots to cut for the community. And in a few hours, I'm going to be able to enjoy the taste and that is going to nourish me. So you start to, as an individual, you start to feel that you are not alone. We have the thought and a view that being together is being with humans. But in our practice, we start to learn that being together, it's also with nature. It's also with the conditions that are around you. Tai would teach us every morning to be grateful for one thing. Tai would say, even when you um, wake up and you see um, the sunrise, be grateful for that. You're not alone. The sunrise is there for you. And the sun is going to penetrate, give you vitamin D, give you happiness. So suddenly you start to have, suddenly you start to see that, ah, my relationship to, to everything is also um, offering to make me feel whole. So we can keep going, but you know, I, I would like to give you an umbrella of, of, of this practice. So Sister Gina, um, Brother Fapu talked about the Buddha's teachings of coming home to oneself. What, what has that meant in your life? Maybe I'll start by saying uh, what keeps me from coming home to myself in follow-up of what Brother Fapu was saying. I notice when I am uh, concerned about the past and I keep on uh, getting lost in the past, it is because of a re regret, usually. I've done something, I've said something, or I've not done something, not said something, uh, something that I regret has to do with the past. Um, and then I take some time to look into the situation and to see really what were all the conditions that were there outside of me as well as inside of me um, that made me respond or act or say the way I did. And then when I see, aha, it is because of all these causes and conditions that I reacted as I did, then I have understanding for myself and there can be compassion for myself. Um, and for the future, when there is, you know, an anxiety, because I don't know what's going to happen, uh, then I know through the practice, the future will become the present. And in the present, I can know what's happening. So then I really go and focus on dwelling in the present moment. And when I find my mind going off to the future, as I say, come back, I'm here now. I can see what's happening now, and I know how to respond. So this, you know, anxiety and this regret. Uh, in my life of practice, I am aware of those um, st my states of mind and uh, to know what to do with it. You know, have compassion 
and bring it to the present moment and see clearly what I can do now. Thank you, Sister. And you've been several decades um, in the practice and, and, and working on Buddhist teachings and incorporating them into your life and gaining insights from them. And I'm just wondering, what is the feeling for you of being at home? How, how would you describe that? First of all, let's say my experience of coming home and dwelling in the present moment when I've been distracted by something or caught into something, that expresses itself physically as a sinking feeling in the body. You know, you've been out in town or whatever, you come home and you go, ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes. I want to do exactly. the same. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, and and, and th- that feeling of, of in the body, I'm, I'm home, I'm back in the present moment, um, then is very present, uh, precious to, uh, to have that. And it is about letting go. What's past is past. I can learn something from the past. And our teacher, Tai, so compassionate, um, would say, at least it said to me, at least once, um, it's not that Tai doesn't want us never to make a mistake, you know, do something unskillful, whatever. But Tai would like us to learn something from our mistakes. And I thought, ah, oh, okay. But first I have to accept the mistake. <laughs> you know? Um but Thai accepted and said, learn something from it. And, and I still remember that. And it's still something I keep coming back again and again in order not to get caught and be stuck in a regret or be stuck in an anxiety. So, so we speak a lot nowadays about self-compassion. And I thought, how do I do this? And then that's how I, I remember this teaching by Thai. And thought, that's it. You know, learn something from it. And then compassion can be there. And Sissa, I, um, I coach a number of people. And, and what keeps coming up is people, when I ask people about how they look after themselves, they talk about, oh, well, that's just being self-absorbed. And actually, I'm much more curious about other people. And I'm much more interested in what other people's perspectives are. Almost as though there's a block to looking inside. And, um, and of course, the name of this podcast is The Way Out Is In. What, what do you think are people's fears about actually looking inside themselves as opposed to this idea of I'll find the answers outside myself? The fears of looking inside. You would have to ask them. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's explore this together. Mm. Mm-hmm. too high expectation of ourselves that maybe has been uh, handed down to us from someone in our life, parents, teachers, society, um, that we start believing that we have to be exactly as that picture, which I'm not quite sure what is anybody who would get anywhere near that picture, mm. great beings. Whom of whom, uh, some of whom we know very, very well. Hmm. Thai, Gandhi, I don't know, many, many people in the world. 
uh, still many people, I say, I think there are many more people than we know of who have that great compassion. Yes, like I said, an image that's been uh, shown or handed to, to us, that you're supposed to be like this and not like that, in order, instead of telling us, you know, like, have a direction you want to go into, yeah? and the direction and the going is important. The arriving is something that happens by itself. We don't need to worry about that as long as we know the direction and we go. Mm, thank you, yeah. sister. Yeah. Brother Fapu, you mentioned earlier about the void. Mm. And um, again, in my own personal experience and, and with people I work with, there's um, often expressed fear of entering the void. As that if I look at myself and my own life, that actually I will fall into this dark place and I will, you know, in, in, in one sense, die in there, that I, I won't be able to manage it. Um, and the void is also, in the true sense, also a place of infinite possibility, that when you actually are prepared to dive and jump into the void, actually, we don't die, but we actually find that we can be sort of reborn in some form. We can find new answers, new possibilities. And I'm just wondering, you mentioned about the void. What what do you think is people's essential fear of leaping into the void? And, and how can the sort of Buddhist practice help people to take the risk? Because there is a risk, isn't there, of going inside. Mm. Because people fear what they'll find might be too horrible that they won't be able to handle it. How can how can the teachings of time, Plum Village and the Buddha, help people to find the courage to look in? Mm. I think the first practice would be to take care of our wellness. Um, just like before surgery, uh, we we have to be healthy enough to enter, um, to to open up the wound. So normally the first. Um, practices that I, I I was instructed as well as I learned from retreats and then becoming a monk, um, we are taught to learn to identify real happiness in our daily life. And happiness is a very big word, but in the Zen tradition and in Plum Village, Tai talks about happiness as something so simple as having a cup of tea feeling the warmth, seeing companions, seeing I'm not alone, and start to train the mind that I have goodness inside of me. I have happiness inside of me. I have joy inside of me. I have peace inside of me. I can touch that, even though it, it, it's not long-lasting, but peace is available. So the first steps and the first um, attention and awareness that we are taught to identify is the goodness in life, inside of us and around us. And what's very interesting is very easy to have gratitude for things outside of us. It always takes a little bit more effort to have gratitude to oneself. And that depends, of course, on every individual. But I remember we did this circle and we asked people to be grateful for themselves. And the first person was like, oh, man, that's so hard. And it took her 
a good minute or two to really identify one thing that she can publicly say that I'm grateful for, that I allow myself to spend time with the lavender and the butterfly. I remember the sharing and it, that image was very clear for me. And, and so um, learning to see the goodness that we have, that is the first practice. And then when we have um, stillness, very naturally, we will start to identify the emptiness or the suffering, we can say. And suffering can be loneliness. Suffering can just feeling lack of, um, of being seen. And all of this, there's a layer of being loved, right? So this is my own realization. And um, all of us, our upbringing has a big impact on this void. Some, it is very deep. Some, it's very shallow. But if it is not cared for, it can develop, right? So w- when I look in at my journey, um, when I look into the void, I hear the suffering of my parents. I can still vividly remember my parents arguing and crying over not having enough, uh, how to take care of us in Canada, not knowing the language. And so that suffering as a child, I have blocked it. I have blocked it out of my mind consciousness. It's in my store consciousness. But I don't, I don't like to visit that experience. And the more that we um, allow all of these experiences to be in the basement, but not being cared for, it creates a deeper and deeper um, sense of lack of connection, uh, lack of love for ourselves as well as for others. And so coming home to oneself and looking at that black hole, <laughs> we, 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 can, we can call it like that, um, we meet the past and the present. And we also may meet the future. If we're not taking care of ourselves, we would be exactly like that. And um, the fear of, of it is really just seeing ourselves in the mirror and, and, and then knowing how much we're holding. And so sometimes it's so overwhelming. That's why we want to turn that channel off in our mind. So we turn on a television or we turn on um, a show even music, or looking for food, right? We, we have this um, craving inside to, if it's the void is in the mind, then we can also feel it in the body. So we drown ourselves in consumption. And that's why alcohol is so popular and the industry of um, alcohol is so strong and rich and it becomes such a culture also. We, we find ways to just not visit that place in us. And Zen, why meditation can be challenging is because it offers us silence. And that silence also allows noise to manifest. And when I say noise here, it's the internal noise, whether it is our, our experience, 
now the language of trauma. It can be in our body. It can be um, um, a story that we have experienced and it will come up as a noise and it can react in many different ways, bring up anxiety, etc., etc. And so all of these experience, negative experience, if we don't know how to transform it, then we will never meet ourselves and give ourselves an opportunity to transform and to grow. And so there is a link in, in our practice here is when you meet suffering though, you see it as an opportunity. You see it as an opportunity to know yourself. You, ha- you show up for yourself. We always say show up for people, show up for this, show up for that. But then we learn to show up for ourselves, And our quality of showing up will have a very big impact on connecting with people. And um, I, I've been Thai's attendant and Thai is not like someone who speaks a lot. He's actually very quiet. But he's a very good speaker when it comes to the Dhamma talks and interviews and so on. But around Thai, Thai, um, it's a lot of silence. And, but the way he shows up for drinking tea, the way he shows up for his attendant, communication is very clear. And that kind of presence, it's an investment that we can offer ourselves to be at home for ourselves. So we learn to create new habits of how we show up for ourselves. That is mindfulness. We show up on a cushion, but we can show up at a table with our loved ones. And sometimes from time to time, when we eat meals together with Thai, Thai would say, look at each other, my students. Simple as that. And then, and, and then we're all waiting for like a deep teaching. Thai's like, no, that's it. <laughs> Please continue eating. <laughs> But sometimes we, we get even so lost in our practice or in the present moment. And Tai, he has these, this very funny side of him or quirky side. And Tai would say, Tai would ask one of his students, what moment is this? And the right answer would be, this is a happy moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so sometimes we just need to be reminded to show up for ourselves. Only can we show up for ourselves, can we truly show up for others. Brother, that, um, what that brings up for me is, uh, you know, as we started off this conversation where I talked about feelings of that I felt I was worthless and that I had nothing to offer, that I was always dependent on other people to mirror my existence. And, um, and it, it was a long process of self-discovery, but there came a point where I learned to like myself. And then it took another couple of years before I could say I love myself. But when I was able to say I love myself, my whole life changed because it was like, I was then able to offer something to people rather than try to take something from people. And Ty talks about, isn't it, that if, if your bowl is 
empty or half full, you, you can't really give anything. But if it's naturally overflowing, then then you can't help but offer to people. And it becomes a, and our last podcast was about generosity. And I realized that was just a reframing of my mind to say, I'm worthless to I'm worthy. And as soon as I recognized, but I had to deeply recognize in myself that I was worthy. And when I reached that point, my life, I, I was able to say, actually, I want to be here to support other people. And I want to help other people to find this place in themselves. So I deeply sort of resonate to what you're saying and, and that sense of that it's only when we come back to ourselves, which is the teachings, that, and we really heal ourselves to the extent we can, that we then can go out into the world. And, and Thich Nhat Hanh talks about that a lot, doesn't he, about when we, when we come back to ourselves from that place of centeredness and presence, we can connect to another person. And then he talks about, and then we can connect to society. Because of course, as we've been talking about, the, 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 the whole problem is that everyone's feeling, so many people are feeling lonely. Mm. And that we have this sort of society, but actually it's full of problems. It's full of mental, mental health problems. It's full of suicide. It's full of addiction. It's full of extraction. And actually, if we don't start to find these places in ourselves, then we, we remain part of the problem. Mm. Sisters, anything you'd like to add? Mm. Trying to think. Um, self-love, self-compassion. Self-compassion is what we hear a lot about. Mm -hmm. So I looked in that also. How can I create self-compassion, compassion for myself? And it came to... If I understand how things come to be, yeah, then I understand and I can have compassion. So if I say something or do something that I realize, ah, this was hurtful for the person who I was saying it, it to or what I did, um, I take time to look at myself and I have to understand exactly my situation at that moment. Uh, what was happening for me? Um, how did I feel? How were my connections with other people? Uh, what were all the elements that made me the way, the way I was, the way I acted at that moment? So all the kind of non-situation elements of the situation. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, then I think, oh, if I look at all those conditions inside of me, around me, the way I acted, it was the only way I could. If one of those conditions would have been different, I would have acted differently. And then <laughs> I learned something from that. And I had self-compassion. We speak so much about self-compassion, but it doesn't just come. But seeing all the causes and conditions of, that brought about my action, then... There is not, there is, there's inside of non-self. And every action has non-self action elements. Yeah. Well, yes, yeah. Uh, you understand what I mean? Good. So uh, I always come back to that. Okay. What are the non-self elements of this situation? And then I understand. Okay. And then I can see where I could have acted differently. And they say, okay, I've learned something from this here now. 
now I see in this element I could have differently. Uh, and that, that I find uh, very important uh, to come to the place of compassion for ourselves and see, okay, that here I learned something. Where's the lesson I have to learn out of this situation? And then, you know, we, we go on through life a little bit richer mm-hmm. in insight. Let's yes. put it that way. Mm. Thank you, Sister. Yeah, and, and I just want to add from what Sister Gina shared is uh, learning to forgive oneself from our actions. We're all going to make mistakes. Um, we're all going to do something that we were not proud of. And that adds to the void and meeting that experience. And sometimes shame is good. Tai talks about shame uh, in a way. It's, it's a, it has a, a double, double-edged knife. Sometimes it's very supportive and sometimes it's very destructive. And sometimes we can look at our previous actions and say, wow, I was foolish back then. And therefore I behave like that. But thanks to that, I will, I will change because I saw the suffering. And so we also have to forgive ourselves. And this forgiving is a journey also. Because when we forgive ourselves, we may be also be forgiving our ancestors, our parents that have inflicted suffering to us, our society that has inflicted suffering to us. And so this forgiving oneself also has another layer that is unseen is that we're learning to meet the other conditions and forgiving and recognizing it, embracing it and transforming it and letting it go. And when we say let go, it doesn't mean it's like not there anymore, but we're not attached to it anymore because we, as a practitioner, we want to learn to be more free because freedom is an element of self-love also. And we speak a lot about the self, but we have to understand the interbeing of the self and the non-self. So when I've learned to live with so many brothers and sisters, learning to see them for who they are is a very deep practice. And if you don't see them who they are, you will never be connected and you will always feel lonely. And that's why we, we always say, um, the Buddha has always taught us that when we practice true love, is we accept their beauty and we accept their unperfectness, their imperfections. And that connection also allows the other person to accept themselves. And so as a practitioner learning to come home to oneself, we're also learning to support others come home to themselves then we have more presence that we can connect and be with each other. And we also have to learn to recognize and support each other when we are lonely. I've, uh, sometimes I've done this my, my, myself and it's a fault and something that I can say I was shameful of. When I see someone not happy, for example, as a practitioner, as a monk, I said, oh, don't be so sad. The sun is still up. You know, and, and you, you add this pressure to them like to learn to, to be full. But as a practitioner, I also see them, oh, they, they are 
experiencing some suffering and offering them love, but with space. And there are ways in our trainings that we uh, we have learned, just letting them know that I know you suffer, and I am here for you, and that's it. Maybe you don't need me, and but if you ever do, please know that I see you. You know, and I, I think this is also um, the practice of loving oneself and compassion. How it can multiply our our capacity to connect and to love others more. So when we say loving oneself, it's not actually an act of selfishness. It's an act of caring and having the capacity to then offer our our true love to others. There's many ways of love. I can buy you something, Joe. What do you want for Christmas? <laughs> I've got my list with me, actually. <laughs> but I, I want to get 40 euros a month, so please keep it uh, on the DL. I'll, I'll take the 40 euros. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so what what we've learned is also how to gift ourselves presence each day, brother. I just wanted to just come back to one point you just raised because I thought it was really important um, about not trying to make other people happy mm. and not trying to prove to other people that they can be happy. And what it brought to my mind was I had a very close friend. Well, I still have a close friend, but and I was in a workshop with him. God, this was uh, probably 20 years ago now. And he was feeling suicidal. Mm. And he stood up and he was sharing the suffering he was in. And and I remember I stood up and I said, but, I'll make up a name, but Paul, you know, how can you be feeling that you're such a wonderful person? You're so kind, you're so warm, you're so thoughtful, you're so this and that. And And the facilitator stopped me and said, how do you think Paul's feeling now, by you telling him how wonderful he is, all he's feeling is even worse about himself. What he needs is for you just to be there with him in this dark place, not to try and pull him out of it. Because if you try and pull people out of their suffering, then actually um, you can actually make it much worse and make it more difficult for them. Mm. So thank you for raising that, because I think if people are suffering be with them in their suffering. Recognize your own suffering in what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Don't try and make it better. Because often when you're it, trying to make it better for someone, you're actually blocking your own pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask a question because we're, this, this uh, recording will be published uh, during the holidays. Mm. And um, I can't remember who said it, but someone said, if you think you're enlightened, go and spend a week with your family at Christmas. <laughs> so... I just wanted to ask, for those people who are listening, who are dreading going to <laughs> family get-together, who feel that actually, uh, and especially in these polarised times where it might be that the relatives they're visiting might be sort of um, completely different politics. It might be that you don't feel part of the family. It might be you feel a duty to go, but actually you're hating every minute. What is your suggestion Mm. of how when you arrive at your family get-together, and this, of course, is not just related to Christmas or the New Year, it can be any time you're with people that you really don't want to be with, but as responsibility or duty, you're, you're there. What is the best way to be present during those difficult times? Sister Gina, any, um, any thoughts of how, how, can one, how can one be present in a place with people 
where actually all you want to do is run screaming from the room. <laughs> well, I would look at my mind because it's all happening in my mind. It's got nothing to do with the people who are there. It's my reaction to the situation that is making me feel this and not the situation itself. Other people in the room are very, very happy to be there. So um, by going back to myself and back to my breathing, what I'm doing, I am, I am breaking the contact, if you like, with the, the, the object the, of, the of, suffering the, of the that. suffering of other people. Um, and therefore not nourishing this feeling in me and making it bigger and bigger. So I can come back to myself, and since I have cut it off from the source, it will calm down. I will feel calmer. Uh, I can see the situation, and I can see that everybody is as they are because of causes and conditions. And I am as I am because of causes and conditions. Uh, who am I to judge other people? You know? What are their dreams? What are their hopes? What are their fears? Um, so the, I think the, the issue is not the other people, it's inside of me. And that's good because I can do something about it. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Brother Fepe, anything? Any, I mean, that, that, that pretty much yeah. tells the story. Thank you, sister. Mm. But what else would you say? Learn to be flexible. That's a very good um, mindset to have being flexible, learning to to be open. So there was only one time in my life I was allowed to go. I was at home for Christmas because I tore my ACL playing football with the brothers. And I had to do um, physiotherapy for a very extended uh, amount of time. And the conditions were uh, uh, for me to be in Canada. And it was my first Christmas at home after... I don't know how long, 12, 12 years. Um, and and um, just like many friends, the holidays is the biggest family reunion. And I'm going to show up and I know there's going to be meat, there's going to be alcohol, there's going to be um, um, karaoke. Uh, Vietnamese families love karaoke. <laughs> and I'm going to meet also a new generation of children that were born within my extended family. So I get to meet them for the first time. Um, and I had, I had some expectation and then I had some wish, <laughs> whatever that may be. But I always remembered this, um, this, this line that I was taught as a monk. When you go home, just learn to be a son, learn to be a brother. Learn to be a sister. Learn to be a loving family member. Rather than learn to be, show up like I'm a monk. Need to adapt to me. And then it's about me, 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 and me. And while my hours with, with the family reunion, I, I was very skillful. So as, as someone who... Mm, is not very interested in politics at that time. I, I didn't want to talk about um, Vietnam and and then uh, business because I don't have anything um, connected to that. And so, as as someone who did want to establish some some connection to my relatives who I have not seen for years, you can always find questions 
that that taps into who they are. And I remember one relative who I I, I talked to. She's like, "Wow, this is the first time somebody actually asked me how I am doing, not about what do you think about um, a Bitcoin and the fall <laughs> of um, FTX, for example, <laughs> right? Right? And and then." A lot of us we're gonna find topics of the world to discuss about, to avoid talking about each other. Mm. So my way was to be very skillful, not to tap in too deep if they're not ready. But there's always a channel that we can actually um, tune into to know more about each other. And with my uh, uncles and aunts, I I want to hear more about their childhood. You know, I said, you know, um, Uncle Number Seven, I haven't seen you for so long, like. When you were young, that dream you had, like, is it coming true now? For example, and then I was very flexible with all the kids. So we had um, it was when the Wii just came out. This Nintendo uh, co- console and Garage Band was a huge thing. And in my precepts, I'm not supposed to play video games, but this is the only way I'm gonna connect to the seven, twelve, thirteen, fifteen year old. I dive right in. I'm like, let me help playing the guitar, for example. And it was the most joyful time, and it was the rarest time that I was able to be an uncle for many of them. And and time flies. And as a monk, I don't have so many opportunity to be home. And now some of them are in high school, but they always remember. How flexible I was as a monk, and they said how cool I was because I was able to blend in and be with them, and they didn't feel they didn't felt judged, and they all know what a monk is. You have to bow to him, you have to be respectful and everything. And I could have held that that image, and I think our connection would have been totally disconnected. Um, but I was able to let go a little bit of myself. But not losing myself, right? So I, I do have boundaries, and I think all of us we can have boundaries for our happiness. If there is a discussion that is not nourishing, I think we can be skillful and to um, uh, excuse ourselves, but not 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 doing it in a manner that that belittle the other uh, folks, the other family members, or friends. So it's all about. Communication and body language, and and what is very important is the mind. What Sister Gina uh, talked about: how do we come back to ourselves, and are we judging that person so harshly, or do we just see them? That's their capacity. That's their limit, and we don't need to say that. We just see them for who they are, yeah, and meet them there. So one question I have is that Ty's teaching. Is all about interbeing. In fact, he he coined the phrase interbeing, which now is sort of very mainstreamed idea that everything is interconnected, that you cannot look at anything in isolation from anything and everything else. So it feels a bit bizarre when you stand right back to think that people feel lonely, that people feel isolated, when in fact they are part of this extraordinary web of life. And I'm just wondering whether their sort of daily practices or other 
ways apart from, because you've talked about coming back to the breath. Mm. You've talked about cause and conditions, appreciating the sunshine. So, so those are ways of connecting. Mm. But are there any other practices that Thai or has developed or, or from the Buddha's time that, that really help people mm. to connect to this sense of everything so that, so that the loneliness would just, in a sense, dissipate? Brother Fat Poo, is there, is there an exercise that could, um, or exercises that, or practices that could support people? So one practice that is more formal, but it's a very deep um, and profound practice in Buddhism, is touching the earth. And um, when we touch the earth, we humble ourselves. So it's a movement of like bowing down, like our forehead, our arms, our legs, our whole body is in the grounds. And it's a very humbling action because usually men, we think we're the best or humans. I, I don't want to say just men, but humans, we think we are the boss of everything. But this practice of touching the earth is a practice of humbling ourselves. And there's a, um, a meditation that we would recite before we touch the earth or even in the action of touching the earth. So normally we would join our palms, um, representing mind and body united. Then we bring it to our forehead. And there's two uh, meaning. There's the first meaning that uh, is connected to the practice of roots is that we know that ourself cannot be by itself. It is through our whole ancestor. So in Vietnamese culture, we always uh, say that our ancestors are kept with, on our head. So when we bring our palms to our forehead, it's like we're inviting our blood and spiritual ancestors to be with us and then down to the heart level and to we see the um, the oneness of of different lineages and the past coming to the present and then we bow down and we open our hands to to express our intention of being open and our teacher have um, put together um, the five, the practices of the five touching of the earth, as well as the three touching the earth, the three touching of the earth. And the texts are very profound, very beautiful. Uh, it's connected to seeing us with the land, is one of the texts, seeing us with our ancestors, the beauty and the unbeauty, seeing it all here, and then making a vow in this present moment to to transform for them, to be the change for the world. And so that is one element. And of course, um, uh, a more day-to-day -day practice that we can um, do is walking meditation and, you know, really being connected to the sounds, the smell, the, the earth. Um, we have practice of uh, tree hugging. Uh, maybe it might be weird in a public park, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Hey, you're alive. That tree is there. I've seen um, brothers, you know, really practice uh, tree hugging. I, I remember when we went to um, the Sequoia Forest in uh, California, California and Thai invited all the monks and nuns. And it was about like, I don't know, 12 or 15 of us all hugging in order to connect the full circle around the tree. 
and we just spent three deep in breath and out breath. And to and in that moment, I personally felt very little, and I felt as part of this magnificent cosmos. And I feel wow, thank you, gratitude manifested as well as connection, roots. That the tree is nourishing me, but I can also nourish the tree. So, I I feel that all of us can find um, something very simple, but makes us connected. When when we eat, we usually take a moment to join a palm and just offer our gratitude. That is also um, a practice of feeling one with everything that is supporting us. Brother Fapu, Sister Gina, thank you so much for uh, this. And and also for anyone who's listening to this who is feeling lonely, and especially at this time of year, um, we send our hearts out to you and, um, and hope that this conversation has brought some balm uh, to your lives and that, um, and that over this period of, uh, of days and weeks that... Um, that you find um, a sense of peace, a sense of calm, a sense of rootedness, um, and a sense of uh, love and gratitude for yourself. Um, And brother, as is our tradition, um, we often end our uh, recordings with a short guided meditation. So if you're happy to um, bring us back to our center and bring us back home, Of course, dear friends, wherever you may be, if you're sitting on a bus, sitting on a train, going for a jog, going for a walk, or you're cleaning your house, if you just allow yourself to take a moment to pause, you can stand very still, or you can find a bench or sit on your sofa and just allow yourself to settle. Feel the weight of the body sinking onto Mother Earth and connect to your in-breath as you breathe in. Notice is your in-breath. As you breathe out, notice is your out-breath. In-breath, out-breath. And as you breathe in, you take full advantage of the in-breath. You are one with it. As you breathe out, you fully dwell with your out-breath. Deep in-breath. Slow out-breath. And as we establish our mindfulness of breathing, we are coming home to our body. The mind is home in the body. So you can feel your body. If there's any tension, 
just release the tension in aware of body breathing out I relax my whole body how wonderful it is to have a body to feel breathing out breathing in and breathing out I am loving my body I offer myself some love in this moment, some care as I breathe in. May I be peaceful and light in my body and in my mind. And breathing out, allow peace to be present. At home with myself, I offer myself an aspiration. May I be safe and free from accidents. May I truly be mindful of my body, of my actions in daily life. Care for it as it has been caring for you. May I be free from anger, unwholesome states of mind, fear and worries. May I know how to look at myself with the eyes of understanding and compassion. Breathing in, I embrace myself. Breathing out, I offer myself compassion. I accept my past, my present. And I am caring for my future. Breathing in, may I be able to recognize and touch the seeds of joy and happiness in myself. Breathing out, just knowing that I am alive, everything is possible. I know. I have the ability to touch happiness inside of me and around me. I practice to offer joy to myself, even if it is just a smile. Breathing in, may I learn how to nourish myself with joy each day. Breathing out, 
this very moment is a joyful moment. Breathing in, I accept myself. Breathing out, I smile to myself. Breathing in, I embrace myself, my family, my society. Breathing out, I offer my love, understanding, and compassion. Myself, my family. Society. Dear friends, you are enough. Thank you so much for practicing with us. Thank you, Brother Fapu. And also, given this is the end of the year, it's a good opportunity to show our deep appreciation of all the people who support this podcast and uh, make it possible to reach you, our dear listeners. So wanted to thank uh, Joe, who is um, one of the editors of the podcast, uh, Anka, who does all the show notes and uh, gets this on all the platforms, um, Kata, who is sitting with us, who is the creator of the Plum Village app, which I'm sure many of you love and has been an enormous supporter of this series. Um, and also Clay from Outrage and Optimism, who is our other co-producer who has, again, been an amazing support. And also Outrage and Optimism, Christiana Figueres, Tom Rivet Karnak, who have given us enormous support and resources. Again, without them, I don't think this podcast would um, exist. And also for the Thich Nhat Hanh Foundation, which has uh, provided us the finances and resources um, again. Um, so uh, this is a community. Um, it might be that Fapu and I sort of front it, but without many other people, um, it would not be possible. Um, and if you'd like to support the Technotown Foundation and to ensure that these podcasts continue and also to support the greater community and all the monasteries around the world, then I'm sure that will be greatly appreciated. Um, have a wonderful end to 2022, and we will see you in 2023. And I just also want to say thank you to all of the listeners, because it has been two years of the podcast, and we have received a lot of wonderful feedback and all of the sharings, just to know that we are a part of your meditation. We are a part of your weekends or weekdays. It really, really warms our hearts. And it also motivates us to continue to come together and offer sharings and invite brothers and sisters and friends around the world to also be part of the podcast. So you are also a part of the podcast. Thank you so much. And finally, finally, we got to the end. Hooray! Yay. Finally, if you uh, enjoyed this um, recording, then um, you can find another 42 
um, on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, other platforms that carry podcasts, and also our very own Plum Village app. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Cozy. Yeah.